You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. Our guest today is Michelle Stumpe, who's a partner at Taylor English Duma, and she focuses her practices on premises liability and business litigation in the hospitality area. And she's also been working on helping restaurants in the recovery process. So Michelle, just guess, take it away and tell me a little bit about your background and how you got interested in the practice area that you were in. So uh, thank you for having me, first of all. And uh, I, when I first started practicing law about 27 years ago, I was I had been practicing about a year and I actually had a convenience store client that had 250 locations throughout Georgia that called me and said, we got this weird random voicemail from some guy named Bob saying that there was a hearing tomorrow in Georgia and we have no information other than that. We need you to find out what this hearing is and what's going on. So it took me several hours and I found out it was an alcohol violation hearing where a clerk had been uh, had been cited for selling alcohol to a minor. So I called them back at about four o'clock in the afternoon and told them they needed to call their alcohol lawyer and found out that their alcohol lawyer was out of the country and I was going to be going the next morning at nine o'clock to handle my very first alcohol violation hearing. So I went, I did it, I was disappointed because I was hoping to, I thought I found a really good loophole. I was hoping to get them off completely and I ended up with probation uh, and um, a warning. And they, I, I let them know and they said, well, what's the fine? What's our suspension? And I told them there wasn't any. So they said, you're our new alcohol lawyer. And uh, I, I represented convenience stores for probably the next two or three years, almost exclusively, and ended up word got around. Apparently, I was pretty good at finding the loopholes in these different ordinances. And so I started, I, I represented clients at thousands of hearings and it started evolving into also representing restaurants and then getting hired by a state agency to help redraft the ordinances throughout the state because so that the loopholes wouldn't be there for lawyers like me. And so I ended up really over that next five years getting a, a great introduction and opportunity to develop an expertise in the alcohol codes throughout the state of Georgia, which are different in every city and every county. So there's probably over 400 different versions. And that evolved into representing a lot of restaurant clients, which that's the primary focus of, of my practice now is, is restaurants and hospitality, hotels and restaurants. Still do a little bit of off-premise, uh, some grocery stores and a few convenience stores here and there. But um, the the alcohol licensing uh, and compliance is such a big potential form of liability for so many different restaurants. I started developing a real kind of niche practice in dram shop law, uh, protecting clients and those types of issues, and had always been doing premises liability litigation. So I still continue to do that as well. But it, it just evolved and I've been representing restaurants for over 23 years now. How has COVID affected your business? Well, I've been busier than ever, but I also have been, uh, I have 
build less than ever uh, because so many of my clients are in such a devastating situation that not many of them are opening new restaurants or getting alcohol licenses or really approaching those issues. Most of them are closing or were closed for dine-in service for a period of time. And so I've switched gears and really started working on a lot of committees, uh, pro bono, giving my time to help try and, and change laws, understand the laws, understanding the different governor's orders, and then keeping the restaurant industry uh, abreast of what's going on and also trying to um, actively uh, work on their behalf with respect to many of the different local jurisdictions and state authorities to implement measures that would be beneficial to them. Like, for example, allowing them to sell alcohol to go instead of just limiting them to dine-in service when they didn't have dine-in service uh, and, and those types of, of, you know, modifications, whether it's deferring license fees or deferring taxes, but really just trying to go back, go to bat for the restaurant industry and whatever we can do to help get them through this, this tough time. So talk a little bit about some of these efforts that you've been making. Um, one of them, I, I think I learned early on that I started getting similar questions from different clients. And so I started a, for a while, it was almost a daily email blast. It, it then evolved as things got kind of into a new norm into once a week. And now it's about every two weeks, whenever there's a new order or a new guideline that's released and just trying to give the industry in layman's terms, this is what's going on. Here's the latest order. Here's what it says. So many times the media might get it wrong. And so they see in the newspaper, you can do X or Y, and really that's not accurate. So giving them reliable data and updates on what's going on, what they might can expect to happen based upon some of these committees that I'm involved with, and really giving them that concise, easy to understand language and guidance. And that evolved into, I created a, a, a two-page checklist, reopening checklist. Here are the things that you need to know. Here's what's mandatory for your operations. Here's what's discretionary but recommended for your operations. Um, many people ask about what do I do if an employee tests positive? So I sent out a guideline that they could use for that. And it's very detailed on if they tested positive and they've been in your restaurant within the past three days or within three days of testing positive, here's what you do. Uh, and so on. So really giving them those kinds of tools. When the new orders came out, there was a mandatory training for restaurants that needed to be provided on, on COVID for their employees. And so I worked with an organization called M-Level to create a free training for restaurants that they could give to their employees to comply with the governor's orders. We created an app that the restaurant managers could use that lets them just, it gives them a new to-do list every day. And these are the items that they need to do in order to be in compliance with 
the latest guidelines and the latest governor's orders. So really just trying to give them the tools. They've got so much on their plates and really just trying to give them the tools in a concise manner that is easy to understand, that takes all of the stuff that's out there and consolidates it into one simple location. What are some basic tips from that checklist that you can share? Some of them are, you know, really a lot of them are what the the mandatory guidance is. So, for example, that they need to be checking temperatures for their employees, um, that they need to be disinfecting tables in between seatings. Some of the tips that I've given them have been a little bit more practical in nature. So, for example, what does it mean uh, for event spaces, for example, or if you're hosting an event, what does it mean when they refer to single location? Am I limited to a group size of 50 people or can I have this wedding reception with 75 people as long as I can socially distance? And what is the proper social distancing for a group of 75 people? How can, can you have that event and still comply with the CDC guidelines or the governor's orders and giving them some guidance on simple things like can they deliver alcohol or can they have cocktails to go Um, because those are the types of things that get reported in the media that are sometimes not particularly accurate. And unfortunately, when inaccuracies get reported in the media, you have customers who have read that and then they get upset if you're not doing what they want, but you're actually following the law. So just advising them on on those types of issues as well as how they can um, help their employees to understand the guidelines and make sure that they're complying with them. Now, what was the process of becoming an app developer? Uh, you know, it really was just um, everything has been somewhat of an evolution of clients' needs. So I would hear my clients expressing difficulty in making sure that their managers were fully aware and they had so many things to do. I would have clients saying, yeah, we're trying to come up with a checklist, but it's just so hard to come up with a real simple checklist. And uh, I, my husband and I have a nonprofit that we run separately. And one of the guys on our advisory board does apps. He's, he's developed apps before. So I talked to him and asked him if he would be able to help us develop just a quick little app that would do this easy to do checklist that once it gets checked off, it goes off of your list. It's accessible to your entire team and the restaurant. So Anytime one person checks off an item, it comes off of everybody's list. If it's an item that needs to be done hourly, it's going to pop up hourly. Um, And so it was just a simple way to address some needs that were being raised by by clients. So it's not anything high tech or fancy, but it serves a purpose and I think really helped our clients, especially as they were just going through the reopening process until they could get into a routine that it, it helped them to know that they were all operating under the same, the same guidelines. Where can people learn more about the app? Uh, that is a good question. It's generally for my, um, my list of, of folks, but I suppose they could 
email me or they could reach out to our firm and we can get them um, we can get them on the list. It's just something that they sign up for. Uh, we work a lot with the Georgia Restaurant Association, but the easiest way would be just to email me at mstumpy at taylorenglish.com. And that's M-S-T-U-M-P-E, like a tree stump with an E at the end, at taylorenglish.com, T-A-Y-L-O-R, English.com. One of the things that, that part of the pandemic is, um, you know, the, the alcohol industry and craft distillers and breweries that they've been really hard hit. Um, so how do you think they can come back? You know, it's been interesting seeing the innovation that has grown as a result of this. And I think for each business, it is such a, a different approach. I am seeing a lot of uh, these retailers, restaurants, and craft breweries and distilleries moving to uh, opening up more of an outdoor type of an experience. I think they're seeing that a lot of customers who want to come back, who want to, to engage, are much more comfortable doing it outdoors. Thinking about January through March in Atlanta being cold and what they can be doing now to create outdoor environments that are going to be able to weather the winter. Um, because I do think that there's still going to be some hesitation for people to come back. Those are always somewhat slow months anyway in the industry. Um, but particularly coming back into a dining room, I don't know whether we're likely to be back to full capacity or maybe 75% capacity by then. But just being innovative, we're working on some legislation to hopefully um, get to a point where restaurants would be in a position to start delivering alcohol. And uh, some of the things that they would be doing in order to facilitate that would be looking into these um, devices that you can use to hermetically seal containers. So while you, it's easy to, to handle a bottle of beer or a bottle of wine, but when you start thinking about um, if it starts being allowed to uh, have to go cocktails or delivery of cocktails, then that would be something that might be beneficial to them. And just really developing a loyal customer base, communicating with their customers, making sure their customers are aware of the pr protective measures that they're taking, um, letting their customers see the protective measures that they're taking. Those have all been, uh, have all seemed to make a big impact. Now with a lot of outdoor dining and the differences in, in alcohol, and that's kind of changing, um, how is the liability picture changing? Well, I think there's a, you have a couple of different issues. One is the concern of somebody contracting COVID. Obviously, it's a public space, and there's the concern of contracting COVID. Um, we do have legislation that recently passed that takes that responsibility off of the business owner that basically uh, notifies customers and patrons that if they're going to come out, they're assuming the own, their own risk and they recognize that, uh, that COVID's out there and you can 
catch it anywhere. And so there's particular signage that has to be posted. So for example, one of the things that I did when that legislation got passed was I created a sign that met all of the requirements of the statute with respect to font size um, and font type and paper size and sent that out to my clients so that, and, and our contact list um, so that they could easily print it off and, and post it. We were seeing a number of restaurants that were hesitant at first because it's pretty strong language. If you enter, you are aware that you could contract COVID and you could die and we're not responsible. Um, but it's standard statutory language that's required. And I think that more and more restaurants are getting comfortable with this idea that customers see it, they are seeing it everywhere. And um, so that's one way of protecting themselves from liability with respect to COVID. Uh, obviously, they can't protect themselves if they're being negligent. So still that importance of following the guidelines, of following the governor's orders, and if they're demonstrating responsible practices and responsible disinfecting uh, and, and social distancing, then they can protect themselves from liability through this avenue. You mentioned before your nonprofit called The Giving Kitchen. So if you can tell, tell us a little bit more about, about it and what it involves. Okay. So actually the nonprofit that, um, that I was talking about was a different one, Children of Conservation, which it's the, the advisory board member of that. So I want to make sure Rob McDonald gets credit for it because he's not as, well, he helps The Giving Kitchen. He's not on that um, advisory committee. Uh, but yes, The Giving Kitchen is another organization that um, I assisted in co-founding and it is an organization that is specifically geared at the hospitality industry, food service workers throughout the state of Georgia. And we provide a uh, safety network, uh, a kind of a safety net, if you will, for members of uh, the Georgia food service industry who face an unanticipated hardship. And obviously throughout COVID, uh, there's been a lot of hardship that has impacted um, many people in the industry, and we have been there to provide uh, resources. Sometimes it's it's resources that are, are monetary in nature. Um, other times it might be connecting them with um, a, a another institution that can provide them with with benefit um, and. We have um, provided, uh, we've, we've served over 6,000 food service workers um, through the Giving Kitchen and um, have, uh, have made, you know, a number of uh, over 1,600 resource referrals throughout the COVID crisis as a result as well. How long has it been in existence? 2000. 12 is when we, when kind of the idea started to formulate, um, there was a chef, Ryan Heidinger, who worked at Muss and Turner's and he had been diagnosed with stage four cancer and the owners there wanted to raise money to assist him, kind of that gap between insurance, what insurance doesn't cover, um, but that's needed when you have a crisis like that. And because they had always been very supportive of the, of the nonprofit work, the other charity that, that I had founded, 
um, they came to me and started talking about uh, doing a fundraiser and how we might be able to do that. And as a result of, of that, the owners, as well as Ryan and his wife, we started talking about taking it to the next level and making it something that would be beneficial to an entire industry as opposed to just a single person. And so it was probably in 2013 that we, yeah, I believe it was May of 2013 that we, we got our 501c3 approved and then started moving forward after that. And how has COVID kind of changed um, what you're doing? Um, well, with the Giving Kitchen, it has really provided us with an interesting opportunity to see how um, our staff and our resource partners can work together in a crisis. And I think it's given us um, a lot of encouragement that we can grow, we can continue to serve a lot more people. We were already in the process of trying to grow our infrastructure and our capacity. And we had a little bit longer of a projection of how long it would take to really grow that capacity. And then COVID happened. And there was such a great need that our staff just really came together in our board um, and proved that we could handle it and um, kind of fast-tracked that infrastructure and development, which I think is going to provide for us to, to continue to serve more and more food service workers in crisis, which there's just still so many. And, um, but we've, we've been able to, to do a tremendous job taking care of them and, and addressing those needs. And so I think it's, it's helped us to pivot. It's helped us to really identify where we can be efficient and effective at serving those needs. Why do you feel it's important for you to spend so much of your time, you know, giving and and giving advice and information and and reaching out to the industry? It's the right thing to do. <laughs> um, I, I I have a unique um, I have a unique skill set that's been honed over the years to be able to involved in enough different initiatives and organizations that it's information that I'm able to access easily. And, you know, these are my clients, my friends. Um, it's an industry that is really hard hit. And um, it's, it's just something if I have the, if I have the ability and the talent um, that can be beneficial and can help in some cases, help a business survive or help businesses to focus on survival rather than having to focus on some of these things, then any little part that I can play in, in helping, in helping that, you know, that's, that's just where I'm, you know, I, I, I firmly believe that you are put in positions where you can provide the most help and the most benefit and, um, if, if you're in a position to help somebody else, particularly with a unique talent or a unique skill set that you've got, then it's, it's kind of a moral, moral obligation or moral thing that you do. So the restaurant industry is in a tough space right now. Um, but what gives you hope moving forward? 
you know, the restaurant industry is a group of scrappy, innovative, hardworking, determined individuals. And even before COVID, every day is it's it's a challenge. It's a grind, um, but they do it for the passion of serving others and the joy of making other people's lives happier, whether it's celebrating an anniversary or being the place where you have great memories for a birthday or a rehearsal dinner. And just the qualities of the people in the industry, I think, make uh, it an industry that is conducive to survival. And, you know, it's, it's also a bunch of creative people. And so being able to kind of combine that, that survival instinct with the creativity, I've seen a lot of restaurateurs who have really pivoted and come up with unique ideas. And because it's, it's truly driven out of a passion and a, a, an honest, sincere caring for people, um, I think that their customers see it and they, if they can get through these difficult times, um, they will be able to come out ahead and will be able to get beyond this and will do, will be doing so in a more efficient manner. They will have learned some things and they will have, have like technology, you know, some of them have been, it's, they're so busy. They don't have the time to sit down and really think about technology that may in the long run, help their businesses run better or help them provide different services. I think that's that's changed. Um, I think customers have become more accepting of different things. Um, there's an efficiency of being able to sit at a table and scan the menu uh, with a QR code. And that's also great for the environment because we're not wasting, you know, we're not uh, using trees to create paper menus and um, so there's just things that are more acceptable now or paying, paying on an online app, even though I'm sitting at my table. And I think we'll start seeing more restaurants having that. Maybe it's not the only option, but as an option, and that's going to help their, their table turnover. That's going to help, um, everything. And, and if they are able to get customers who are more accepting of that, um, which I think people are, they're more appreciative of it, then that's going to result in an efficiency um, and an efficiency as opposed to in efficiency, but that will result in more efficiency that can then translate into more time doing the things that are important, whether it's the food prep or whether it's the time with the customers um, and really putting the creativity back into their businesses. So you think it's an example of an industry that because it's so innovative, that will um, kind of rise from the ashes like a Phoenix. I think so. I, I think because of the, again, not just the, the innovation and the creativity, but also the discipline and the drive and the gut determination that so many of these people have um, the will and the desire to work and work hard and to rise above, um, I think that will all contribute. 
Is there anything that you can think of that we haven't discussed that you think would be uh, important to relate to a restaurant industry audience? Well, I think just staying up with what's going on with respect to the recommendations and the guidelines. We're working so hard to um, keep our businesses alive. Don't undermine or underestimate the value of those things that could shut you down quickly and making sure that your staff is fully aware of what the guidelines and the requirements are. Um, Also, keeping up with important things like paying your sales taxes. Um, Those are things that it's hard right now to do it, but the Department of Revenue is starting to get back into enforcement and taking away alcohol licenses because you don't have your sales taxes current or issuing fines and penalties because you haven't filed the right paperwork. And those are the things that when you're in survival mode tend to take a back seat sometimes and just want to make sure that folks are really um, not overlooking those small technicalities that could take all of this hard work and all of this effort um, and really put them back even further. Well, thank you so much. It's been uh, great to learn about you and to, to hear all of the things that you're doing, you know, providing so much information and help to the industry at this time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. 